0: everybody. This is Dr. Laura Freyan, And on this episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, I have a really an amazing guest that I'm so excited to share with you. I'm bringing in Jennifer Anderson of the amazing Instagram account, Kids Eat in Color. She is a registered dietitian, a mom of two very exciting boys, and a cheerleader to hundreds of thousands of parents feeding kids through the Kids Eat in Color social media movement. She helps parents let go of mealtime battles, reduce their stress, and get their kids on the path to eating better. And I know everybody listening is so excited to hear from you, Jennifer. So welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself
1: and what you do? Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's great to be here. So yeah, I mean, like you said, I'm a mom. I'm a cheerleader to hundreds of thousands of parents and now millions of parents all over the world. And I really deeply believe that parents are doing a great job. And when we believe that, we can do a little bit better and we can solve our problems even better.
0: Oh my gosh. I agree with you. Aren't parents amazing? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I just a shout out to all of the listeners here. You show up for your kid, your families in a way that is just so inspiring. I feel, I don't know about you, Jennifer, but I feel so blessed to get to do this job and this work and work with parents in this way.
1: Absolutely. I mean, parenting is no joke. It's a it is. day in day out thing that never ends. And, you know, we have to keep showing up. It doesn't matter what's going on. You know, sometimes we show up barely dragging ourselves to the game and sometimes we are kind of on top of it, but it's tricky to be a parent. It's tricky to feed kids.
0: It is. You know, so just a little bit about my own journey around food with my kids. I had a pretty traumatic birth and felt pretty out of control and so attempted to control what I could and food Mm -hmm. is something that I could control when I had my first baby. And we had some feeding issues right at the beginning because she was a NICU baby. And so I was really controlling with food Mm -hmm. for her first two years. And then... We were at a birthday party and she just had no control around sweets that were there. It was her first birthday party. I was like, wow, this isn't okay. And so I started looking into intuitive eating and how to raise healthy eaters because I grew up feeling out of control around sweets as a kid. And I didn't want that for my kids. And I found your account and you were really, really helpful in helping me figure out how to have a balanced relationship, especially with sweets and treats. And so this is a question that I get a lot from the families that I work with, the families who follow me on Instagram. And I know my personal story, what I did to help my kiddo kind of almost heal her relationship with sweets and now both of my daughters have really healthy relationships with sweets and treats where there's not a lot of pull they've got lots of experience self-regulating but can we talk about this for a little bit i love you okay Okay. the question that i get is kind of how do i help my kids have a healthy relationship with food where they're not feeling i don't know one of the moms wrote in and said they don't have a complex around sweets, right. <laughs> <laughs> which I totally had. I can still remember the first time I binged on sweets. It was on like sugar cereal at a friend's house. I just ate bowl after bowl after bowl because we weren't allowed to have it at our house. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: what do we do? Where, where do we start? Right. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say there's no one perfect way to do this, where if you do XYZ, your kid will also somehow be a quote perfect to eat or whatever that, even what does is. that mean? <laughs> you know, kids are so different and I know that I've read plenty of books and you know, they didn't work for my kids at all. <laughs> so you always have to find the right thing for your family and for your kid. And every kid has different health needs and all of those things. But one of the things we have to think about is as our kids get older and they're exposed to sweet and you know, maybe we've just not exposed them and that's fine. You know, delaying exposure is a great way to reduce their consumption of sweets without making it a big deal, especially if they don't know about it. You know, so all of a sudden they go to a birthday party and they learn about birthday cake and their life is changed forever Or they go over to grandpa and grandma's and they have M&Ms for the first time or whatever. And all of a sudden the world changes for you and for them because now they know that thing exists. And they're going to go to more birthday parties. And they're going to go over to grandma and grandpas again. Maybe they're going to go trick-or-treating if that's something your family does. And all of a sudden, you have a choice at that time to continue to make it a big deal because we've all had sweets. And guess what? They taste delicious and they feel good and, you know, all these things, right? So we have a choice. Are we going to go down the path of, okay, sweets are now part of our life? Or are we going to go down the path of, oh my gosh, I have to protect my kid from this at all costs. This is poison that I'm putting in my child's body. We have a choice of how we're going to kind of try to navigate this. I have a a close friend whose mother was extremely concerned about any perceived, quote, junk food. And, you know, her kids had allergies. And so with good cause, right? I mean, none of us have bad intentions as we're holding our kids. And so she... Never, ever allowed any soda, no soda consumption whatsoever under any circumstances. Fast forward, he goes to high school. She doesn't have any more control over what he drinks. He drinks so much soda every day. Within a year, he has a cavity in every single tooth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You know, there's these extreme stories where when we are extreme with our kids, <laughs> they don't always do what we want. But if we can actually kind of navigate the gray area where, no, we're not feeding our kids tons and tons and tons of sugary foods. It's not a best practice for their teeth or their health or anything else. You know, we need some balance here. But if we can try to navigate that gray area of, yeah, we do have sweets and they are part of our life, but we're trying to decrease the fascination, the obsession, the curiosity with them, so that it's just part of our life. And also broccoli is part of our life. And that's so an important, wonderful part of our life. We can try to normalize sweets to the level that we try to normalize vegetables. We just totally different experience with the kids and with feeding.
0: Yeah. Okay. So there were two things that I feel like I wanted to pull out there. And so we can go down two paths, but one, you said, quote, junk food. I feel so strongly about labeling foods. And so yeah. I hope at some point we can talk a little bit about how to yeah. talk about food. <laughs> but I also want to talk about like big thing that I heard you saying there was that kids need opportunities to experience and practice the skill of regulating themselves around food. Yeah, that like we've been applying all of the control. We've been their willpower for just a lack of a better word, their whole lives, and then they go into a space where we no longer have control. They don't have it either because they've never practiced restraint. They've never practiced balance with any of these things.
1: And not only that, but you've created a fascination. So there's plenty of studies. So if you call something bad and if you restrict it heavily, your body feels restricted and therefore you're obsessed about it. You And you want it a lot. Not only that, but a lot of us, maybe we grew up with eat your food and then you get dessert. Fill up five more bites of broccoli and then you get your ice cream. The problem is every time, every single time we use food as a reward, we decrease the value of other food and we promote the value of that. So We have the best intentions. You know, parents have the best intentions.
0: Okay. So parents have the best of intentions. We want our kids to learn.
1: Yeah, we want kids to learn. And we think if we teach them that they have to eat their broccoli first, then we're teaching them that broccoli is more important. Actually teaching them is that dessert is a reward and it's better. And therefore broccoli is worse. And so we actually... Are teaching kids the very opposite of what we want them to learn? Yes. It's, so, the, it's the same thing as with chores.
0: When we reward them for doing something, we teach them, you're not supposed to want to do this without this reward.
1: Right, yeah. And it's tricky because I have definitely rewarded my kids to <laughs> do various things. Right, right. <laughs> because right. I'm like, You know what? I need you to do this or I need you to do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the more you do it, the more they don't want to do it. Right. Yes.
0: These messages, these unintended kind of under, like between the line messages that kids get. I, we're saying this a lot overtly through the best of intentions. Our parents, we're all just doing our best. We are every single one of us who's concerned about what our kids are eating are concerned about it because we want our kids to be the healthiest, you know, balanced kiddos and grow up strong and healthy. Right? Right.
1: Absolutely. It has Something intentions. Not, not we grew up where the, this is how we grew up. So of course we're gonna do that with our kids. There's no reason, I don't believe that we should ever give a parent a hard time for what they're doing. They may not have heard of a new method, they may not feel comfortable with a new method, they may not understand why it makes sense because so much of feeding kids, especially now, where we're actually growing up in a different world than we grew up in, or that our parents grew up in, or that their parents grew up in, we actually need some different parenting techniques and we need some new ways of teaching kids how to navigate a life. You know, they're going to go out into society into a world that's just kind of like sugar is all over the place and it's in everything. So, how do you navigate that? How do we teach kids to really listen to their body over time to become comfortable knowing when they're full and when they're hungry and when? they've had enough cookies and when they haven't and how that's different on different days we don't have to give our kids a two cookie rule you know which is something that a lot of parents well two cookies any more than that you know not enough the problem is then they always eat two cookies always always they never have a chance to get their fill of cookies and they also can't stop at one cookie if they're satisfied right
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, so I'm dying to know then. What are the things like, that we can do? What are some like concrete
1: mm-hmm.
0: things off the top of your head? Sorry to put you on the spot.
1: <laughs> the thing that I recommend is if your family has dessert and you've been using it as a reward or you know two more bites to a dessert, stop doing that. Start putting a small child taste portion of dessert on the plate some debate. Should you let kids have as much dessert as you want at dinner? I don't think so. There's no like study that shows what the best thing to do is here. At dinner, a small child studies portion is fine. And if they ask for more, you can say, well, there's no more available for this meal. We'll have more on Tuesday or, you know, whatever it is. The thing is you have to stay cool and you need to remember your kid is probably going to freak out if they've been obsessed about dessert. Like, what do you mean I can't have more because I'm all about dessert right now. And now I can't have more. And then they're throwing a tantrum or, you know, whatever you want to call it. They're really freaked out because they can't have more. You have to just climb over that mountain. There's going to be a couple of weeks where you're feeling uncomfortable and you're wondering if this is working and, and all this sort of thing. But once they realize this is all, but we're also going to have it another time you begin to build their understanding of, oh, okay. It's just the same as broccoli, really. Yeah. And, And, you know, there may be times where you run out of broccoli and guess what? There's no more available for this meal. That's just part of life that sometimes various foods are not available in unlimited quantities, right? So it's a lifelong skill. Times where kids can eat as much as they want. And that's a really hard one for parents.
0: Yes, it absolutely is. So, what you were talking about is holding a firm, compassionate boundary, a limit that all of the parents listening here are working on learning how to do, you know, right. and practicing with their kids. And it's no different with food. What was interesting for me when we started serving desserts with meals, so my youngest is almost six and she's only ever experienced that. But my oldest was, I think, probably two or two and a half when we started it with her. So if we were having a dessert, it's served with the main course, and it was so interesting to watch their different strategies. so when she first started that, she just immediately ate the whole thing mm-hmm. and then it was gone, and then she ate her other foods with no problems. That was really anxiety provoking for me that like you know because I was in the midst of my own work with sweets, mm-hmm. I think that this is something that is so i mean the food is a microcosm of the parenting relationship as a whole, right so when we 're working on parenting. We have our own work to do, and then the work that's exterior with our kids. It's the same with food, or at least it was for me. I was Mm -hmm. going through this food journey with my daughter. So that was really – I had to do a lot of, like, self-regulation, watching her eat, like, a a child size cup of pudding or whatever it was that we were having. But their strategies on how they eat their desserts are so funny, and they still are consistent. So my oldest is eight now, and she will eat almost all of her sweet treat – her dessert, eat the rest of her food and save one bite of the sweet and then just sit with it in her mouth for like 10 minutes.
1: Oh my gosh, that's, <laughs>
0: that's amazing! And whereas my other one? Well, she's always just done that gone around in a circle and usually ends on the, you know, but their strategies are so interesting. It was once I got over my anxiety, it was interesting to watch that develop.
1: I love what you're saying is like, once you get over your anxiety, you can just kind of have this curiosity and <laughs> your own kid. Like when you're not obsessed about whether you're doing it right or doing it wrong, all of a sudden you could just see your kids for what they are, which is these creative little beings that are sitting at the table, and they're just learning to feed themselves. I remember watching my first child teach himself how to eat. I didn't know about baby-led weaning. I was basically just doing, just following his lead, which is he wanted to feed himself, and we mostly had puree-ish type foods at that time at you know at my house. And he developed this like little method of scooping up the puree and pushing it through the top of his little fist and feeding himself. It was so adorable. And what I think is so amazing is at that time, I truly didn't care whether I was doing weaning right. You know, it was following the best practices with responsive feeding for your kid. And so it just didn't matter. And so I was really able to enjoy what he was doing, which was so good. adorable. And, and my second kid learned it to, taught himself to eat totally differently. Every kid is so different. And when we can just step away from you know, the societal expectation that we're going to have mommy wars over weaning, we're going to mommy wars over like, mm. what we're feeding our kid, all these things, we lose our ability to appreciate that moment. When our kids are just being adorable and learning and growing and, you know, all of those things.
0: It's so true. The stress and anxiety and the worry about doing it right takes us right out of the moment and mm-hmm. out of presence and keeps us from enjoying these times with our kids.
1: So true. Uh, it I has- mean, that said, when I went to the pediatrician, my son had birth issues then all of a sudden the anxiety, of course <laughs> <So laughs> there. So there are times when, you know, other information comes in and you can no longer enjoy the moment because you're freaking out that your kid isn't growing properly. So there are those two. I don't want anybody to feel bad that they are concerned because there are real concerns that are real feeding issues that come up and there are real picky eaters and there are all these things. Feeding kids can be really tricky. And if you aren't able to enjoy the moment, it doesn't mean that you're a bad parent. It, It just means that you have a tricky feeding situation like many of us do.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you for that very balanced perspective. I really appreciate that. Okay. So I'm trying to think, should we go to talk about kind of unrestricted access to sweets that happen sometimes at like holidays? Like we're recording this um, kind of close after the Easter and Passover holidays. Would that be helpful? You think? Do parents need to know about those things?
1: (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. I just Try to not get worked up over it. There are holidays. They will happen. Your kids will have more access to sweets than you will be able to control. <laughs> Grandparents will be seeing the kids' sweets or relatives behind your back. All these things are going to happen. I prefer to just go into it with a very realistic perspective. My kid is going to eat enough sweets today that they are going to be very grumpy tonight. But you know what? Tomorrow is another day and we will move on. just like to take a really realistic perspective and not try to over control it. Now, do I take the opportunities to decrease their access? Sure. You know, I just didn't put that much candy in there, but guess what? They complained about it. I was like, oh my gosh, they complained that there was one jelly bean in the egg and stuff. I get, I don't know what they were expecting. Maybe like four. I don't, I don't even know. I'm so surprised. (laughs) But, but the reality is, you know, candy is a wonderful and joyful thing for kids to experience at holidays and we can allow them to choose how much to eat. And that is a learning experience for them. I remember when my son was six and it was the first Halloween that he was really into the experience of candy. Like he, prior to that, he just really didn't care that much. Something about six was a big shift for him. And he ate so much candy. <laughs> and, and then he sat on the kitchen floor and he said, "Ooh, stomachache! I think I ate too much candy. And you know what? He taught himself that I never said anything. He was able to internalize for himself and put it together that a lot of candy made him feel sick. And that experience is worth, I don't know how much more than if I had told him, hey, if you eat too much candy, you're going to get a stomachache. You know, it's totally different when your kid realizes that for themselves and they can begin to understand, oh, if I eat that much, I feel sick. If I eat this much, you know, it doesn't mean that your kid is never going to eat too much candy again, but it does mean that your child is on the road to being able to regulate themselves over time. Right. So all adults
0: have times where they overconsume certain things (laughs) and people, folks with healthy relationships with foods, just know like, oh, I overdid it. And with no guilt, no shame, no blame, no self-judgment around it. And that's what we're creating an opportunity for our kids right. to do too.
1: Absolutely. And you know what? The next day, I'm always amazed when my kids eat more vegetables than usual. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always fascinating. We don't push veggies. I you know, have a very like veggie positive environment mm-hmm. at home and they're around pretty frequently, but I never force them to eat it. And it's always interesting to see after a big holiday where, you know, they didn't eat that many vegetables and they ate a lot of candy, just like we kind of feel gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we might gravitate more towards those foods that are going to make us feel better. The kids do the same thing, If you know, depending on their ability to eat a variety of foods.
0: Yeah, I've experienced that too. I like to put just veggies in a tray out on the kitchen counter usually in that time period between school and dinner, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. yes, I see an uptick in how much of that platter is emptied on right. the days after. Okay. So that was really helpful. So what about for the families who have some picky eaters, some kids, and what is the definition of a picky eater? Cause that's just something that like, I work with some families who say their kid is a picky eater. And then they come to me with a list of like 50 or 60 foods that their kid will eat, you know, mm-hmm. and then I have some families who come and say their kid's a picky eater and they've got like five to 10 foods. right? And right. so what is the definition of a picky eater? And so
1: interestingly, there actually is not an agreed upon definition okay. of a picky eater. There are a whole bunch of definitions in the literature. And I think it's more of a subjective thing. Now there are some objective things. Does your child eat less than 20 to 30 foods? Does your child have a physical problem as a result of not being able to eat a variety of foods? Does your child not eat all of the food groups, like are they completely unable to eat fruits and vegetables? Mm -hmm. Those three in particular are really big red flags that not only is your child a picky eater, but their ability to only eat a small amount of foods has the likelihood of having a physical or nutritional on your child. Well, then it's more of a time to get in there and start trying some new strategies because then you usually do need more support if you have an extremely picky eater. And that's more along the lines of what I call an extremely picky eater. But here's the other thing. If you're going into mealtime, then it feels like a complete battle and you're pulling your hair out and you're feeling defeated and you're so frustrated I don't care if your kid is eating 32 foods or 35 or 50, if something is wrong for you and your stress levels and you need some support mm. because it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to be have your blood pressure going up, going to the table and feeling like you're going into a war
0: even if there are some health concerns, there's yeah. still room for taking okay. care of you in that process.
1: Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the first thing I do in my Better Rights program, which is the program for the families of the heaters, first thing I do is work on reducing your stress mm-hmm. because you can't do anything to help your child if you're completely stressed out. I mean, I've been there. I live this too. You know, I have a, a selective child and one who tends to not eat enough. Oh, so stressful. And if we can find ways to reduce our stress, we really open up just an enormous number of possibilities for ourselves and for our child.
0: Yeah. I think we, that can't be overstated that our, you know, that our role, our approach, the energy we bring to the table really makes a difference for kids yeah. too.
1: It really, it really does. And for you too. I mean, I don't deserve to be like super, super frustrated. I mean, feeding kids is, six times a day, five, six times a day. Oh my God, it's so much. It is always (laughs) happening. So if feeding your child is your biggest stressor, that means you're becoming stressed to your max, you know, five, six times a day. I recently heard a mom say, 90% of my stress is due to feeding my child. And I think that's totally accurate. So if you're feeling really stressed, you are not alone. In fact, I started kids eating color because I was feeling super stressed about feeding a child who didn't want to eat enough, and I was making these cute little lunches to get them interesting, interested in, in meals. And I thought, you know, I can't be the only parent struggling. You were not. <laughs> no, I wasn't the only one. No. There are millions of parents struggling all over the world. And then I thought, oh, maybe it's just the United States thing. Nope, all over the world, all mm-hmm. over the world. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting.
0: So do you have any resources for folks who have a picky eater and are looking? Yeah,
1: so I do have a good starting place. So my free picky eater guide is 14 pages of help, like understanding how do you kind of get, get control of your mealtime environment and get really clear on what is your job as a parent versus what is your child's job as the child, because that is a huge stress reliever when you're doing your job and your child is doing their job and you're able to then work together in a much healthier way that opens up a load of possibilities
0: i love that that's something that i have to remind myself of all the time that there's certain parts of my kids eating that is not my business that you right. know that is their job and no one likes to be micromanaged in their job yeah. no
1: one does especially toddlers poor children. My kids have yet to grow out of the phase in which they want to be in control of their body. (laughs) Hopefully they never happen. happen.
0: It's a human thing
1: to want to control your body. We really want to, we want to raise our kids, right? We want to raise them to grow up and be able to take care of themselves. And part of that is starting really early, teaching them that it's their job to be in charge of the food that goes into their body and how much they eat and all of that stuff. I know recently my kids were in a situation where a relative tried to pressure them to eat, mm-hmm. to finish their meal. And I just remember the look on my five year old's face, which was, You are crazy. And then he looks at me like, What's up with this person? <laughs> I was like, Well, you know, he knows how much he wants to eat. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, so the, my one daughter has always been really good at setting boundaries with people and so she has her very loving babsha she's polish and food is love and there's lots of pressure for everybody to eat more and more her parents were Auschwitz survivors there's just a lot oh with food there's a mm-hmm. lot I'm there um, but she she will ask my daughter if she wants more and from when the time when she was really little she goes what well, the food that's on my plate is my business yeah. i adore her boundary setting i admire it so much yeah. it's so good speaking though of relatives or other people's other influences in our kids lives i did have a couple people who wanted me to ask you how to handle folks who maybe have a different perspective on how to handle food. Um, So if they are embracing kind of the kids eating color approach and it's different, it's, it is different. It's a bit radical than what the mainstream folks are doing, how to approach that with well-meaning loved ones. And then also I've had a couple questions about how to handle some fat shaming that might happen and crop up in homes. And so I just was hoping we could chat about those
1: things. Sure. You know, Talking with family is very, very difficult. And I I find so much of this comes up with partners. Like my partner isn't on board. My partner is really big on pressuring my child to finish their plate. You know, my in-laws, my mother, my father, my this and that. Boundary setting with family, you know, extended family is just so tricky. It's so tricky. And I don't have any one size fits all answers. And the reason for that is this, I don't know if your mother has a mental illness. I don't know if your relative is abusive. I don't know if your relative is completely wonderful and wants to do the best and just doesn't know about new techniques. I don't know if you're reliant on living with your family or you're reliant on your aunt and uncle for childcare. And if that's the case, you know, you may have to just do abide by their rules because you can't make any changes, you know? So there's obviously, I think the best case scenario would be probably like my mom. She remembered being a mom And she had five kids and she didn't want us eating a ton of sugar, although she, you know, it was around and she allowed it. But I think she remembers setting boundaries with her parents and saying, no, you can't send bags of candy for every holiday. (laughs) They were just sending bags, bags and bags. And she said, no, can you please send this? And she told them what to instead. And so with her, we actually had a conversation. It's like, okay, how much can I set? How much candy and how much this? And she's just done a wonderful job of providing toys instead of candy. And I, I find this talking with parents who are rational and reasonable and who you have a good relationship with, telling them exactly what you want. I want you to have ice cream with her once a month, but not every single time you get together because, you know, we need to have ice cream too. And not in, in a judgmental way, but say, this is best for my daughter. Can you please take her out for ice cream once a month? and the other times can you please go to this park because i know she loves it and i know she really appreciates some time with you
0: yeah so giving them options that they can
1: exactly what they want because they really want your child to adore them (laughs) (laughs) That's and they want to do whatever they want right so if you just kind of give them suggestions oh they love going to get a balloon oh they love going to this special park with the slide Oh, they love it when you bring the dog over. Tell them how your child can adore them without the extra candy. And I think that's the best case scenario, right? Now, I have other relatives that I can't have that straightforward conversation with. In fact, bringing it up with them would actually come back to bite me. It would mean that other people I know, they would then feed my kid more candy just to make me men, right? Ooh right? Not all of us have wonderful relationships with all of the people around us. And we just have to be very aware. So guess what I do with that person? I don't ever say no, because I know that that would result in a bad impact for my kids and myself. Mm -hmm. I don't say, Oh, you can't. I just say, I want you to tell me before you do it. Right. Because that's, that's the most important thing for me. Reducing harm is don't go behind my back Mm because that's not good for my kids but I want you to be really forthright with what you're going to do. And I always say yes, because I know that is going to lead to a better outcome. So we have to like really look at who we're dealing with and how we're talking when we're dealing with those relationships around us, because we can be flexible. We can be flexible with how much candy our kids can eat, but sometimes we have to focus on their safety first Sometimes we have to focus on childcare, and being able to keep our jobs. Sometimes we have to focus on the relationship. Mm -hmm. Open lines of communication. And having extra candy is not going to kill them. It is not. And sometimes there's much more important things for us to focus on for the overall safety and benefit of the family. So we have to go in with some flexibility and with some, some grace for those other people, for ourselves. We just have to kind of walk that messy gray area of relationships, you know? Yeah. Oh, that was
0: such a beautiful kind of crash course in balanced boundary setting with family. Thank you for that. And I think that that applies to, you know, again, where we are talking about food, but really food is kind of this microcosm of all the things that we deal with as parents. This applies to gifts, birthdays, and all sorts of things that you need to set boundaries with. So Right.
1: It's true. There's so much with food, you know, it's our culture. It can be politics. It can be our our way of caring for ourselves. It can be our way of hurting other people. You know, so much is wrapped up in food. I agree with you. It is just a microcosm of of so many other things.
0: Yeah. And if we really want our kids to just have a simple relationship with food, then sometimes we have to be realistic about who we're dealing with and how to Mm -hmm. where our power is in like if our overarching goal is for our kids to have a healthy, simple relationship with food.
1: The other thing to remember is parents modeling the way that they want their kids to eat is probably the most powerful thing that you can do. Now we realize, you know, some parents are picky eaters themselves and they can't always model everything. They have allergies, that's okay. If you can eat the way that you want your child to eat, that is gonna have more of an impact on them than what they see grandma and grandpa eating, than what they see, you know, aunts or uncles eating. Obviously what those other people eating aren't gonna have an influence on your child, but you, as a parent, you are going to have the biggest influence on your child.
0: I so agree. I so agree.
1: Okay. I just wanted to
0: ask one more question. I feel I want to be respectful of your time. So we've been talking about food a lot and having a healthy relationship with food. And I think that food gets really, our relationship with food gets really distorted when we're embedded in a culture that prioritizes thinness and prioritizes dieting. Mm -hmm. And I know that I've had to have conversations with the other adults in my kid's life around negative self-talk about their bodies and diet talk. And so I was just curious if you have any recommendations for families on those conversations, or even if like we can't control what other people say, how do we reframe it for our kids or help our kids make sense of maybe what grandma said when she was over?
1: Right. So tricky again. Yes, (laughs) So difficult. So first off as a parent, again, you're going to have the biggest impact on your child. Choosing to not talk about your body and your weight around your child is extremely important. The American Academy of Pediatrics has recommended that there be no weight talk, especially around older kids. Starts young too. We now have three-year-old girls dieting. Three. I think, yeah. I mean, that's like just out of toddlerhood. And they're dieting. And it's not like one three-year-old is dieting. This is a thing now that's being measured and observed. Three-year-olds are saying, oh, I need to lose weight. Oh, right. And they're just mimicking us. They're just internalizing what they're seeing around them. So the more that you can not talk about your weight and not saying negative things about your body around your child, the more powerful that is, because again, you're going to have the biggest impact on your child. And if you have been talking negatively, switch it up. You know, start talking it's not too late. You know, you know, I'm not the person who's gonna say you're an adult, you should never go on a diet. I don't care. Like if you're an adult, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, I just believe that it's your body, you do what you want. Now I could make evidence-based recommendations, which actually wouldn't really include weight loss diets based on the evidence as I read it, but you know, you're an adult, you're free to do whatever you want. But if you are going to choose to try to lose weight around your child, you really, really, really need to come up with a new way to talk about that. I just wish for every child that they can be in a home where families talk about their bodies being strong. Oh, I'm, I'm lifting weights so that my body can be strong. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to pick you up and throw you in the air. I want to be able to run around the block and feel good. I want to be able to be strong and do, you know, vacuum the house more quickly there's so many ways that we can talk about our body being healthy or let's say you have a health condition let's say you have high cholesterol and you're there for going on a medical diet to try to to deal with that you can actually talk about that with your child you can say oh i have high cholesterol this is what that means i'm okay but also that to take care of that body that means to take care of my body i need to change the way that i'm eating and you know that means i'm going to start eating more soluble fiber. Let's learn about soluble fiber. You can go down the rabbit hole as far as you want. But I think we need to change the, the conversations with our kids from size, which is something that most people cannot control. And that doesn't necessarily mean that someone is unhealthy. We need to change that conversation away from size and really to help. I mean, if you have diabetes, then yes, I would highly encourage you to learn about taking care of your body. And that is going to change the way that you eat. If you have a heart condition, if you have high cholesterol, if you have an eating disorder, if you have absolutely anything, there is going to be a way for you to take care of your body that may include what you eat. And it's okay to to talk to your child about that, you know? Yeah. And
0: we can do that without moralizing or judging food categories. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Now, my kids know that I'm allergic to salmon, right? Which is a really poor food to be allergic to if you're a dietitian, because dieticians love salmon. They, love salmon. <laughs> <laughs> but they, know, they know I'm allergic to it. My allergist recommended that I not eat it and therefore I don't eat it. So they actually, they know that, but they know that their bodies are not allergic to salmon and therefore they can eat it. So I think we can introduce our kids to Nuance you know, some foods are good for you. Some foods are good for me. Some foods are bad for me. Some foods are bad for you. Actually understand that kind of nuance early on. What they cannot understand is sugar is bad. McDonald's is bad. That they cannot understand. You know, that they cannot understand because when they go to their friend at preschool and this has happened I would guess most preschool teachers have a story like this. They go to their friend and say, Oh, your mom is poisoning you because you oh. have like candy at your lunch. Oh. And guess what? Relationships are ruined. That kid feels horrible. It's so much judgment. When we categorize foods, just say, This is bad we disenfranchised so many people. I mean, there are extreme picky eaters out there. They have five to 10 foods that they can eat. And then they go to school and the school has them do a sorting activity that says, you know, these foods are good for you. These foods are bad for you. Mm. And, and beyond that, some of that child's safe foods are in the bad category. And now, because they had a, an anxiety-based eating issue, Now they can't eat one of their safe foods. And that literally puts them at nutritional risk and risk of really bad consequences, all with the best of intentions. But when we categorize foods, we do not understand what we're doing. Take a mom who, or a family, right times they are going to the food pantry. They are using their SNAP benefits. They're doing all these things Very tight budget. They're gonna put what they can afford on their child's plate. And if their friend comes over, is like, oh, that's junk food, guess what? They have just judged that family in an unfair, inaccurate way. We can teach our kids to judge other people for what we're eating, and we can also teach our kids to have curiosity and understanding that all foods are good. Even if all foods are not good for our family, all foods have a purpose and all foods are good. And I'm going to put my money behind that. I will go as far as I can teaching my kids to never say somebody else's food is bad. Mm.
0: Yes, it's so important too, to understand that kids, especially kids in the six and under range are involved in categorizing and labeling things, that that's part of what their brain is doing right now. And so they're very sensitive to what we label things as. It becomes very firmly cemented in the like neural structure of their brains. It's very hard to change what their brain is doing right then, right? They're forming Mm -hmm. the structure of their brain and how things are categorized and labels is a big piece of that
1: too. The the real challenge is, okay, let's say you really believe that you want your child to think that sugar is bad. I don't judge you or, you know, whoever for thinking that. There's so many messages out there and there's so much diet culture out there and there's extreme eating pattern (laughs) culture out there, right? We're constantly hearing all kinds of messages. The problem is, What happens when your child has to eat a food with sugar in it? They go over to a friend's house. They are in a situation where they don't have access to food and all the food that they have access to has sugar in it. All of a sudden your child is in a situation or maybe they eat it because it tastes good. And they're in a situation where they are like, does this make me bad? Because this is a bad food. What does this mean for me now that I'm eating a food that's poisonous, now that I'm eating a food... That is bad for me. What does that mean? I think there is a real internalization of these labels foods onto kids themselves when they're younger. And then you bring in this whole moral component to eating yeah. and that brings in an emotional com- component to eating. Now you've really complicated that child's relationship with food. Again, it don't judge any parent for doing this because we are just a wash in diet culture and food culture, it is everywhere. And if at the same time, if you think you can raise your child even without getting them exposed to diet culture, even that is impossible. Cause you go to, <laughs> you know, the family dinner and everybody's like, oh, I lost this much on my my latest diet and I did <laughs> this. And, and, you know, so we do the best we can and then our kids go to preschool and they hear all kinds of crazy stuff there. And then they go to school and then they hear even crazier stuff. I Think we just have to focus on what can I control at home and what is the best I can do. Yes, I'm definitely gonna make a mistake because I didn't grow up with this stuff. And that's okay. I mean, to the parent who doesn't make a mistake, good luck. Guys. you will you will have no friends. Where are they? We are no one they? will be able to relate to you. So yeah, we're we're always making these mistakes, but I think we can we can work on it. We can work on having these conversations where we learn about what foods do in your body and teach them to our kids. You know, one of my kids, he went to, uh, he went to school one day and he had, I think he had a a small piece of chocolate in his lunch, or maybe a couple of chocolate chips in his muffin. And a kid said to him, chocolate's unhealthy. And my son came back, he was six. And he said, you know, so-and-so said chocolate's unhealthy, but it just does a few things in your body. Right. And what we, he was referring to is a conversation that we had had where, you know, some foods do a lot of things in your body. And some foods do just a few things in your body. Doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that they're different. Broccoli, it categorically does just an extraordinarily large number of things in your body that are helpful, right? A piece of candy largely does one thing in your body, and that is to give you a quick shot of energy. That's it. And that's how we talk about it. It doesn't have to be wrong to eat something that just gives you a quick shot of energy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not wrong. It just is. It also isn't morally superior to eat broccoli, which doesn't give you a quick shot of energy, but does do a whole host of other wonderful, wonderful things in your body. can draw attention to the fact that foods are different, that they do different things in our body. And as they get older, we can start to slowly introduce things like, well, that quick shot of energy is gone. So you notice how your brother is crying on the floor over there. That's because he all, he decided to only eat his candy at lunch and he didn't have any protein and fat to keep him going. Mm-hmm. Right. So we can draw these as opportunities come up. We can draw the connections of how foods work in our body. And we can absolutely do that without judging and without saying, therefore you are wrong or therefore you are bad. Yeah. I
0: love this. I I love how you're bringing this nuance and curiosity so that kids can have a really, like, I, I think that that's always been my goal for my kids is that I want them to have a very uncomplicated and very curious relationship with food. Mm -hmm. where they get to just play and see what feels good. You know, having done this for years with my girls, you know, they are so good at listening to their bodies. If I have just two more pieces of candy, I think my tummy's gonna hurt, so I'm gonna stop now. You know, I had it too much and it hurts and I won't do that again. Or, you know, like, mm, my tummy feels a little sick. I think I'm gonna go get some broccoli out of the fridge. You know, like it just, they do it. The approach that you teach is just so wonderful and I've benefited from it so much. And from this conversation, thank you so much for
1: your time. You're welcome. Yeah. My pleasure to help parents and to talk about this stuff. I mean- I'm so passionate about it. Like any opportunity, I always have to like, kind of like, you know, turn the flow down because otherwise it can be like a fire hose.
0: <laughs> no, it's so good. We are so passionate here and I love it when folks come on and talk passionately about their topic. It's I really, really appreciate your, your time and your expertise here. So everybody is listening. Make sure you go and follow Jennifer. You probably are with her just amazing Instagram account. Um, but I really, really, oh, and I'll put the link to your picky eater guide in the show notes. So that's there for you, everybody who needs it. Um, but I really, really appreciate the time that you took out of your day to talk about these topics with us.
1: Absolutely. It was great to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast and if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of, um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too.